Hey, this is Joe Namath, and uh, they say it ain't easy being green. The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're gonna win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jet fans. Jet fans. Jet fans. Burn, very passionate. Burn, Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jet fans. Very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be the sucker. everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast. Broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and confidant, none other than the number one Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris, everyone. Jet fans, how you be? Adam Gase, press conference, Mike. Now, the words that he said in the press conference weren't the big takeaways from this whole debacle. Dude, yes. It was more the visual and the body language. Yes. So do you mind not looking at me like that? His face just looked totally, completely overwhelmed. So you just want to stare at me? That's awkward. And it was kind of frightening to a degree. He looked like a psycho. He looked like a madman. It's uncomfortable. Eyeball gate has blown up on Twitter. Crazy eyes. It's a well-documented condition of the pupils. I will say this and I will be honest. Do I really give a you-know-what? about how my head coach does at a press conference to introduce him? No. Has it ever mattered in the history of coach whether he does good or bad? If he does good in his introductory press conference? Not at all. So I know it didn't go well. I know he looked pale, emotionless. Like he was, <laughs> he looked like he looked like he just did not want to be there, Mike. The body language looked like he was kind of losing it. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? No. But what is your takeaway from the press conference, Mike? The introduction of Adam Gase, Johnson being there, there was no Mikey Mack. A lot of interesting tidbits to take away from this. Where did you stand on Man, he looked like Jeffrey Dahmer psychopath level. I mean, he was nuts with those eyes. But hey, like you said, does that have anything to do with how he's going to coach? You know, I have seen press conferences introducing the new coach of my team throughout my entire life. And I have seen Rex Ryan say, we're not here to kiss Belichick's rings. I've seen great press conferences like Todd Bowles and Herm Edwards. None of those ended up in a Super Bowl. Coming out from the twilight zone, dude looking like crazy eyes. Devil's eyes. He's about to kill everybody, and the fact that our owner, they didn't really talk about any substance. I mean, it was very bland. I'm, I'm okay with it because you know what? With all the other press conferences, really didn't relate to success. So maybe a bland, crazy psycho, you know, press conference won't will lead to success. Who? Who knows? I, you know, like we talked about, I really wasn't a fan of the hire at the time, but as I've had time to let things settle in um, with Mr. Adam Gase and learning a little more about what happened in Miami, um, I'm not saying that I'm excited about Gase particularly, but I am warming up to the idea of let's see. Yeah, and that's what we're going to have to do. He's our coach. We're going to have to run with it. Last week, we came on here, had a show, weren't happy about the signing. We literally found out about it, Mike about an hour before me and you went on and started recording. So, you know, we didn't have much time to really yeah. prep. or I, I just didn't think, and I, I said it last week, I didn't think it was a realistic option as our head coach. It wasn't someone I saw walking through the door as the Jets head coach considering 
the tenure he had with Miami, how things kind of went with players and the media. You can see in the introductory press conference, he may potentially be a personality type that isn't the easiest to communicate with. Doesn't mean you can't get along with him, doesn't mean he can't be a success. Just means he's a little off kilter, which doesn't mean he will be a bad coach. And you don't have to be thinking inside the box or act the same way as everybody else or be as smooth on the microphone as a Tomlin or a Rex to be a good coach. Not everyone could talk like that. Like when Mike Tomlin gets on a press conference or speaks to anyone, you just believe everything he says. Because, you know, he's just, he's just real and he's comfortable in his own skin. So it doesn't affect him doing a press conference. Rex was the same way. Many guys were like that. Case obviously is not one of those types. Uh, the New York media, I'm sure, was a bit overwhelming considering there was three or four reporters when he was introduced as the Miami Dolphins coach. And there's maybe a hundred people there yesterday from every outlet you could possibly imagine. Cameras, beat reporters, online reporters, uh, news, print, media, everything you could possibly think of, Mike. And they're all there and they're all in your face and they all want to know what the story is. And you're going to sit down in the chair knowing that you might not have the best reputation coming off where you just came from. So I can see why he might feel uncomfortable. Gase kind of came in with a certain reputation to Jet fans. Uh, and it was kind of polarizing reputation where it didn't seem like he was the most popular guys with players. Didn't seem like he was the most popular guy with reporters. And he didn't do anything to change any of those thoughts at the press conference. No, he did not. But there were a couple of things that I did like to hear from him. And so Jet fans understand. Adam Gase was considered the Sean McVay before Sean McVay. And the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, was so excited about getting this guy. They gave him the keys to the kingdom. A first-time head coach had control over the 53. He had control over the draft. He worked in lead with Mike Tannenbaum, but pretty much had the last say on everything. And it overwhelmed him as a coach. I'm not going to give that excuses on why he failed in Miami. But he did have a lot of responsibilities that when he came to this interview, he told our owners and GM, I don't want to do anything else except coach. Yeah. He didn't ask to have any control of 53, yeah, and I thought that was a good thing. And the, and the other thing that he said that I really like to hear is that he was looking for a head coach de facto yes. for the defense. A guy that would head be the, the leader. Yeah, yeah on the defensive side because he knows his strength is more offense and dealing with the quarterback, which Sam Darnold, he never worked with a quarterback as young as our quarterback, so he's very excited to meet him. Sam Darnold is supposedly very pumped to work with Adam Gase. So what does the New York Jets, what does Adam Gase do to solve the defensive coordinator? Greg Williams. What game are we playing? Checkers? Chess? Putt-putt golf? We're playing football! Get your ass back there, you goofball! When you look at yourself on film and you wonder why I cut your ass, you look at effort first! They're on defense, get over here. We're walking around, get to the huddle! When you don't get in and out of the huddle, when you don't substitute, when you don't communicate, when you don't fight, you don't belong. And I don't care what athletic ability you have. Young guys, this is not college football anymore. He signed sealed delivered three-year contract. 
to be the new defensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Mike, we spoke about it at length this week when we were getting a little bit worried when we didn't hear any news about Greg Williams being signed. But this is the guy we wanted. And this is the guy uh, that made the most sense. And uh, it, directs, it, it relates directly to what you just said is that Adam Gase is pretty much going to be calling the plays. So he'll be, he's the de facto offensive coordinator, as we know. Now, he's going to be also, he's also the head, he's also the head coach. But he said at the press conference he was looking for someone to be the head coach of the defense. When you're Greg Williams and you get that opportunity, when you know you're going to be able to step into uh, an organization and a team with some talent on defense. You know, we gave up the most points last year. We I think almost that we've ever given up. Oh, there was only one other year. I think it was 1990 or 91. We've given up more points, Mike, than we did last year. So all the talent we have and all the guys that we think um, could be good and have played decently enough, all those guys still give up a ton of points. There was no New Jack City. We didn't really play that well when it came to results on the field. Now, when you're Greg Williams and you know you're going to be given an opportunity, not just to be the defensive coordinator in a situation where maybe the head coach also is defensive-minded is going to want to throw his two cents into what you're doing and have a say in the defensive call, say when Todd Bowles, was the head coach of the Jets. He ended up calling plays here and there still. This is a situation where Greg Williams will be in complete control. The success or the lack thereof of the defense will be rest entirely on his shoulders, which is a good thing. And I think, you know, you don't want to be completely complacent as a head coach and not take a look into the defensive side of things. You know, I, I get that. Rex was at fault sometimes, Mike, for not having a hand in the offense at all and really just concerning himself with the defense and the offense never really improved under him. But I think this is a little bit different in this situation. Because I never, I don't think Rex had an equivalent to a Greg Williams coaching offense when he was the coach. And he was running the defense and doing things. I think this is much different. This is somebody who's been proven uh, many, many different times. Many teams he's gone to. He's got the whip the defenses right into shape. He plays a certain type of defense. Very aggressive. Gets after the quarterback. Makes no excuses. They go right after people. Um, they really want to put pressure on people. And... I like that. I like his attitude. I, I know there was Bounty Gate and he's had some scandals in the past with things like that. But coming into New York, I think this is a guy who is a good fit for his personality type. He's a very interesting guy, very outspoken, and he's very sharp and a very smart guy when it comes to X's and automatically signing him. And you saw Jamal Adams tweet yesterday, Mike. I think it's automatically a big time improvement for us. We have a subject matter expert on offense who's had head coaching experience and had some success in development of quarterbacks. And we have a subject matter expert on defense who's had head coaching experience and success at, at the defensive side. So this is the first time that I have seen, maybe I don't even know, maybe to, to Parcells where both of the defense, because when we had Parcells, we had Bill Belichick as our defensive coordinator and Parcells really helped me run the offense. Uh, where both sides have two quality experienced guys there that have had success in the past and are leaders of men. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, let me, let me take that back, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure if I could say that Gase is a leader of men specifically because of what we know that happened in the locker room. But what I can tell you is that Greg Williams is definitely a leader of men. He commands respect in that locker room. And one of the reasons why I was excited about this hire was because I, my biggest trepidation when it came to, to Gase was the locker room. And I feel this is the type of man that can bring glue and stability and a voice of leadership and professionalism to this locker room. 
uh, that, that players will respect, like we talked about. Respect is very important Absolutely. when it comes to men. Yeah. But one of the things that I wasn't sure about was his defensive philosophy. And as you know, we've been in a 3-4 type de style defense all the way back since 2006. So this will be a big change from going to 3-4 to 4-3. And I decided to ask a good friend of mine who had prior coaching experience and playing experience to break down what that transition would look like. I got a nice little conversation with Ennis. Maybe knows the X's and O's of those type of things when it comes to 3-4 defense, 4-3 defense, the positions that, uh, you know, the one technique, two technique, three technique, all these type of things. When it comes to the defensive line that maybe not everybody knows and he has a really good way of explaining it uh, for the layman, like the rest of us, for our audience, I think they'd be really interested in this. So let's get to it, man. You, you talked to Bennett. He could help us out maybe. Maybe he might also explain some of the players that might improve with this new look, with the 4-3 defense. Some of the guys that maybe won't be as effective. Um, it's good to know those things before the season starts because maybe some of the cuts or some of the guys we do hold on to will make a little bit more sense to Jet fans. Mike's interview with Bennett breaking down the Jets defense next year with Greg Woods. It's a situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. All right, Jet fans. We have a special guest from you tonight. We're going to break down our coordinators philosophy. Mr. Greg Williams, the New York Jets under Todd Bowles, previously ran a 3-4 defense. So we're bringing on a special guest, a football analyst, a man who has coaching experience, a man who has playing experience in the military. His name is Bennett Richardson. Bennett, say what's up to Jet Nation. Hey, what's up, Jet Nation? On the ABG Podcast. <laughs> That's right, man. So, so Bennett. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, under Todd Bowles, they ran a 3-4 defensive scheme, and we wanted to look at the guys that we've had in that scheme, talk about what it, they, where they may play in a 4-3, and maybe address some of the free agent and draft needs, how we could fill out uh, this the 4-3 system that potentially we may be running under Greg Williams. So. Starting at the 3-4 defense, we had two defensive ends. We had Leonard Williams and we had Henry Anderson. And at nose tackle, we had Steve McClendon. Nathan Shepard would back up uh, Henry Anderson from time to time. And uh, nose tackle was back up by Mike Pinnell. So just starting on the defensive line, looking at transitioning to a 4-3 type of defense, how would this affect these potential players that, that may be starting next year? I'll start off with Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams has that prototypical three-technique build. You know, he's, I think in high school, he, I mean in college, he played at USC. Coming out, he was listed as a defensive tackle. He had to move to a defensive end due to, you know, the 3-4 scheme or whatever. He's a natural fit for a three-technique and a defensive in a 4-3 defensive front. 4-3 defensive front, meaning you have four down linemen and three linebackers behind the uh, defensive line, whereas in the 3-4, you have three defensive linemen and four linebackers. Understood. So Leonard Williams, you think, would benefit from being a 4-3 because it's more of his natural position being a three technique and playing just inside of the guard opposite of him. Well, um, a three technique plays right either on top of the guard or right outside the guard. Okay. Your 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 two technique plays right over the guard. Your three technique plays right outside the guard. Your zero plays right on the center 
and your one plays right outside the center. So, I mean, it's, it's it really just a matter of how they shade and how they want to attack the line. Um, but Leonard Williams, is, is his skill set was getting to the quarterback. So that's in a 4-3 defensive line. You usually have one uh, tackle that gets upfield or has the ability to penetrate and um, disrupt the pass. And then you have a, another defensive tackle who's usually a bigger guy able to hold. He's, he's the one who's usually taking on double and triple teams in the uh, center. He's the guy that's usually there for run-stopping ability. So it sounds like, what would we do with a guy like Henry Anderson, who's more like a tweener? Um, Henry Anderson, now, there is, you have you have your 4-3, but you also have your subsets. Mm-hmm. So Henry, Henry Anderson playing um, defensive end on a 3-4. Defensive end, 3-4 defensive ends can go either way. You got a guy like J.J. Watt. He plays a defensive end in a 3-4, but he could also play defensive end in a 4-3 every down because he has that speed, that strength mm. to, to get upfield. And he can set the end. Henry Anderson can potentially play the defensive tackle in a subset because he has the the, the strength and the, and the speed necessary for a defensive tackle to get upfield but when it comes to a 4-3 defensive end I don't think he has the speed to put pressure on the quarterback so then we would potentially if we're kind of looking at who we have on our roster and free agents you would think that maybe the best potential option to fill one of those defensive end rushers would be a guy like Jadavion Clowney well that could he, he could be a possibility the number one defensive end 4-3 coming out right now is probably DeMarcus Lawrence mm-hmm. and then you got Trey Flowers which I mean he, he's probably New England will probably hold on to him uh, D Ford he plays 3-4 outside linebacker a lot of those guys like they can switch from 3-4 outside linebacker to 4-3 defensive end like Jadavion Clowney he's a 3-4 outside linebacker he could easily play 4-3 defensive end and, and, and Houston does run some sets where he does play the traditional defensive end as well. Okay, so. uh, question for you. Can McClendon be that second defensive tackle uh, opposite Leonard Williams and or Pinnell? And if not, a, a potential option would be Nadamik and Sue. Best fit for a run stopper? Well, if you can afford Sue. Well, mm. it depends on what Sue's price is. But yeah, Sue would be like the perfect scenario guy you go get. To, to, to fill that spot. One, because he was the three technique earlier on in his career. He was that guy. He has the strength. He had the speed to get upfield and wreak havoc behind the line. But now that he's read, uh, in L.A. playing for the Rams, he's taking on more of that, that heavy set role where he's kind of allowing Aaron Donald to do what he did earlier on in his career. And he's taking on the role of, you know, the spacing, so to speak. Oh. He's, still, he's still disruptive. Well, he's I, not going to get those those stats that, that, that the Aaron Donalds, the uh, Fletcher Coxes, the K1 Shorts, those guys, they get up the field after the quarterback. They get most of those, those glory uh, stats. All right. I appreciate uh, some of the names that you've given us. You know, to uh, Jadavion Clowney. Um, looking at Demarcus Lawrence, potentially having maybe the Dominican Sue. So it looks like we have some options there on the defensive line. Now moving to the linebackers in the three-four, we had Jordan Jenkins on the outside along with Copeland and Frankie Luvu. 
trying to set the edge. And then in the inside linebacker, we had Avery Williamson and Darren Lee. Darren Lee was the guy calling the plays. So now in a 4-3, we're looking at the Sam, the Mike, and the Will linebackers. Sam being the strong, Mike being middle, the one who calls the plays, and the Will being the weak side linebacker. Strong side, weak side being determined by uh, what's strong and weak from the offensive line standpoint. So would you say that Avery Williamson and Darren Lee can fit one of those three linebackers or two of those three linebackers? Uh, yes. Now, traditionally, you do have a middle linebacker called the plays. He's traditionally the leader of the defense, but it's not necessarily with the Browns. Um, even though Jamie Collins played outside linebacker, he was considered the leader. So you would have him sometimes calling plays in Greg Williams' defense. So I forget the name of their middle linebacker that they had. But he was a little bit less experienced than Jamie Collins. Jamie mm-hmm. Collins um, was a very smart player. It, it really just depends on the leadership of the team. Who's going to be that guy that calls the plays? Traditionally, it is the middle linebacker. So Darren Lee, you think, could fit the middle linebacker, the Mike linebacker? Or do you think well, that... He, he definitely has skill set and the speed. Today's uh, middle linebackers, you got guys like Luke Keekley, They're 6'3" like 225 pounds. They're almost the size of running backs. Okay. You know, you got Luke Keekley, you got Deion Jones down in Atlanta. Yeah. Those fast linebackers that, that can play sideline to sideline, they can cover. They also diagnose offenses and, and blitz pretty well too. And they're good at, at diagnosing plays and stopping the run as well. So Derrick can definitely do that. He, he just, is, is he going to be up to the task? That's the question. Right. I don't really know what his college um, experience was as far as you know playing in that style of defense. But and give us give us a sense of how Jamal Adams could be be used in the, uh, for as a lot maybe a will linebacker. Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams is a, is an interesting player. He's a strong safety, and the, the NFL is a, it's a copycat league. Lately, the last couple of years, you've had these safeties coming into the league. And they've kind of created a new position called the money backer. He's like a rover. Okay. Where because of the spread offenses, the traditional three linebacker set doesn't fit because you, you want your best players on the field at all times. Yeah. Well, with these offenses coming in with three and four wide receiver sets, it's difficult to want to keep three good linebackers on the team. Only use two because you're always in the nickel. Right. So what a a lot of teams have done teams like Arizona, teams like LA, Green Bay. They've converted safeties to linebackers, and these linebackers, these guys are playing the weak side, so they don't have to sub as much. Gotcha. So, do you think it'd be so for all Jet fans out there? Do you think it'd be more beneficial to maybe sub package in uh, Jamal Adams as the will, keeping May in the back, and then putting our monies more towards the line and getting guys like you know Sue and potentially Jadavion or, or Demarcus Lawrence instead of going after a linebacker like D Ford? D Ford would in a four three would be more of a defensive end. Okay. So it really depends on what your GM is willing to go out and get. And it really depends on the draft too. I think I think Jamal Adams stay at safety for right now, but if, if they don't get the guy that they want, he could easily play that money backer role. He's a physical safety. You, know, you look at uh, a guy like Mark Barron, when he was coming out of college, he was a 6'1", 215. Now he's a, he's a full-time linebacker and he, he's 
sitting around 6'1", 225, 230, because that's what he was asked to do. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what Jamal Adams is capable of, of doing in that if he's put in that situation, but given his physical style of play, he would be an ideal person if they couldn't get that uh, that, that wheel linebacker that they wanted. He could easily slide in, in my opinion, play that position. Sounds really good to hear. So you think that with the potential free agents that are out there, with the guys that we have on the uh, currently on our roster, that the transition, that this team could transition into a 4-3 defense pretty smoothly and actually be a better defense going into next year? I mean, we only listed we only listed three guys that really fit well, or four if you want to count, um, and Avery Williams. But yeah, your, your cornerbacks are, are pretty much going to be the same. Greg Williams runs a lot of man. Okay. Tremaine Johnson has experience playing with uh, Greg Williams. He played, spent this 2015-16 year, which I believe was his first year starting with the Rams. Okay. Um, he spent that season with Greg Williams, so he un- he already understands what's going to be asked of him when it comes to to man coverage. I'm not really sure that what what Morris Claiborne's status is right now. He's IR. I don't really know if they're going to be bringing him back or not. But uh, you definitely need guys that can hold their own because what happens with a, a Greg Williams defense is he he's aggressive yeah and those linebackers if he's not stunting the defensive line he's blitzing linebackers he's getting after the quarterback and he doesn't and you, your players have to be smart too because he doesn't stay in a traditional 4-3 he'll go he'll he'll, he'll spin the first half in a 3-4 or the first quarter in a 3-4 and then he'll switch it up to a 4-3 ah. then he might even go 3-3 depending it, it really depends on the team that he's playing he'll go 3-3 and then he might even go 4-2-5 which is four linemen two linebackers and five defensive backs so wow. you don't really know what he's gonna do these guys just have to be ready your roster right now I can, I can name five guys that are capable of performing well in his defense but you're going to have to it's going to be some some move you're going to have to get some more pieces to, to be competitive with Un- his defense understood and you and you sign off on Greg Williams as a as a good defensive coach and leader for this team yeah well yeah his uh he's, his defensive rankings when he was with the Saints they were 17 10 and 28 with the Rams and, and I think that 28 I think that was when they had a bunch of injuries that year. With yeah. the Rams, he was 7th, 9th, 7th, and 15th. Okay, okay. And then with the Browns, he was 16th and 12th. Now, the Browns, the previous years, the previous year, he, before he got there, they were 31st. Right, so, right. So that's a major delta shift. And right. that, that's, uh, that's exciting to hear. So Jet fans are excited. We're excited here on the AEBG. We want to thank Bennett Richardson for giving his time here and going through the defense and uh, hopefully we can have you back and we can go over some of our offensive players, huh? Yeah, man, anytime. All right, you take care of yourself, thank you. I'm really happy that Bennett spent some time with me there. He uh, really knows his football. And uh, one of the things that I took from what he was talking about is how our draft picks have not been something that we've been very happy with in regards to the talent level that we have expected. We've expected Leonard Williams, we've expected Darren Lee, you know, these prior first round picks to be better than what they've showed us. Darren Lee took a big step forward this year, but like Bennett was talking about and focusing really on the defensive line first, 
Leonard Williams playing the three technique at defensive tackle at his age, 24. Remember, Nathan Shepard, who we drafted last year, is 25 years old, just to kind of show you how young Nate, uh, Leonard Williams is. Leonard Williams, in his natural position, playing defensive tackle at the three technique, lining up right up against the guard, may bring him some more success in under a Greg Williams system. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, I won't pretend that I know if he's going to be better in a 4-3 or a 3-4. All I know is how he's played so far, Mike. Leonard Williams. Now, uh, Bennett broke it down very well for us, and he knows what he's talking about. I've heard other NFL pundits, people that understand the difference of the 3-4 and the 4-3 defense and how other players, just, just positionally-wise, where you line up and how it will affect you having someone on the outside of you now. Maybe have a little bit more space and get to the quarterback. Leonard Williams might be improved, and that's really what we need. He's gonna His price tag next year, Mike, 14 million bucks for Leonard Williams. Now, that's, that's big-time defensive lineman money right there. So that's the, kind of the question I have is, is the amount of improvement that we think he could potentially have worth that monetary investment or do you cut, you know, do you cut bait and you go after plenty of good defensive linemen? Uh, but uh, I know Demarcus Lawrence, I know Clowney's going to be out there next year. Oh, oh. Plenty of pass. Yeah, yeah. Some of these, you got, you got guys like Demarcus Lawrence, da Davion Clowney who can come out on the edges. We've never seen Leonard Williams operate with a pass rush. But the unfortunate thing is Demarcus Lawrence and Jadavion Clowney have the chance to be franchised along with a guy like D. Ford. But you have, you know, potentially Nadamakin Sue. You're going to have Fowler. You're going to have a couple of options there. I want nothing to do with Fowler. I mean, I'll take Leonard Williams. Is, Deontay Fowler has done as much as Leonard Williams has. Right. It's, just, it, it's, <laughs> just, it's the same type of thing sometimes when we lull ourselves into these perceptions of a player because of where they're drafted and they don't produce and then in our minds we still go oh well you know but he was the fourth overall pick and he's okay well if he was the sixth or seventh round pick and he had only 17 sacks in three or four years we wouldn't be saying he was that good of a player because of where he's drafted we kind of perceive it differently but you know like Bennett said and like you just mentioned and like I've heard other people say uh, Manish Maynard other people have, have mentioned that switch to the 4-3 defense Leonard Williams could become an impactful player and that would be huge because then you're not going out spending extra capital on a guy. You already have him in house and he makes a big time improvement. Those are the type of things that hopefully getting somebody like Greg Williams, those those improvements the guys we already have on the roster, you know, dudes that we already have in place. Like a Darren Lee. Like a Darren Lee. Like, and and, and yeah. that is one guy that they really believe it's gonna take a huge leap in the in the four three at the will linebacker, the weak side linebacker, Darren Lee. That's what his strengths were coming out of the draft, having those big body guys in front of him and him being able to run coverage schemes and whatnot. And another thing that Bennett had said was that we could have sub packages where we play Jamal Adams in the will and move Darren Lee over to the mic, uh, Avery Williams and play the strong side. Uh, there's a lot of different variables that, that can be run, and Jamal Adams can absolutely be utilized as a weak side linebacker. We've already seen him play some type of linebacker in uh, Todd Bowles' scheme. So really, like you said, um, a lot of these players that we have on our team already uh, could be good fits in this new scheme. Now, guys, unfortunately, like Bennett was saying, Henry Anderson, he could be a casualty. He, you know, We could use him in sub packages, but he's a tweener. He's not a guy that can show strength there at the defensive tackle position or have the speed on the outside uh, because of his size. 
But, you know, he doesn't really fit a 4-3. He fits more of a 3-4. He's a guy that could be a casualty. Same with Jordan Jenkins. Jenkins could be a casualty uh, in a 4-3 type scheme. So it will be up to Greg Williams to really utilize this roster. Yeah, I just hope, Mike, that we can get after the quarterback next year, whatever way, shape, or form that occurs. And I want to thank Bennett for joining the show and breaking it down like he didn't just bring in some insight uh, to some of the positional changes and some of the guys that might actually flourish now that we have Greg Williams, some of the guys that might actually fade away and maybe not do as well. Jenkins, like you mentioned, he's someone that's kind of one of those tweeners in the 3-4 makes sense. Maybe not so much in the 4-3 defense. But whatever the case may be, Mike, there's one goal. And now I'm not saying, I would never say or suggest by any means, Michael, Michael Lagaris, the Jets should start collecting a GoFundMe to cause some type of bodily harm to Tom Brady. I'm not saying Greg Williams would suggest that either. Bounty Gate's in the past. That's in the past, Mike. We're, we're above that now. Of course. But, but however. They same. are kind of saying that they should change their names from New Jack City to the Bounty Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is going to be so many fun. So much fun, I think, will be had with Williams in New York. Somebody like that. He is, I mean, you go on YouTube and you type his name in. And he's an entertaining guy, to say the least, Mike. Uh, he's obviously fiery, not a Todd Bowles type of demeanor on the sideline, man. He gets after it. He's hyped. Uh, Gase subsequently also looks like he potentially might have, you know, 30 to 40 bodies buried in his garden. So when you combine those two types of thought processes, we have psychos now as our coaches. As opposed to what seemed like with... Todd Bowles, because he was the face of the coaches. I'm not saying everybody knew Jeremy Bates or the other coaches that well, or Brant Boyer. Someone else we should mention, Mike, when you mentioned that we have experts on defense and we have an expert on offense. We signed back our special teams coach, uh, which is big, and he's one of the better, I think, special team coaches in the league now. Did a great job last year, so we have an expert on special teams also. But, Mike, our coaching staff, I mean, you know, represented by Todd Bowles, obviously, was very lifeless, and that's not the case anymore. Uh, for all his warts, Adam Gase is very peculiar, but he is definitely one of a kind. You know, he's not very, very far from Todd Bowles, who is very stoic and very chill and very calm, and I totally understand that. And again, I want to thank Bennett. That was great, man, him helping us break that down, and that was a great interview by you, Mike, bringing some new insight to the AEBG team. And we have another interview coming up. Um, it's going to be in about maybe a month from now, maybe three or four weeks from now. I want to let everybody know. A gentleman who wrote a book about Joe Willard Namath, my dad's favorite player. My dad might also join us that episode. Give us a little bit more information about that. Preview, what do we got coming up? Yeah, we have Bob Letterer coming on the to talk about his book, Beyond Broadway, uh, should be insightful explanation after Joe and what happened with the New York Jets. And we're very excited to have him on and it would be great to have your dad on to listen to the insights that Bob brings us through his book. It would be very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I, I can't wait. We're gonna get a copy of Bob's book, read that before we have him on the show. Um, that'll be tremendous. My dad's favorite player of all time. I'm sure Bob did tons of research and, you know, got to get into really uh, the heart of the matter when it comes to Joe Namath and his tenure with the Jets, the most beloved Jet of all time. So that'll be great. Let's let everybody know the future, what we got coming up on AEBG. But let's get into some current state of affairs, Mike, and the National Football League, separate from the Jets, our playoff picks from last week. Let's go! The situation uh, kind of got heavy on me. Okay, Mike, so it's official. I have 
exercise the demon. Everybody listening at home and everyone listening worldwide, if you ever need to make a selection when it comes to a football game, you know who to contact. I'll let you boy. Yeah, I'll let you boy. <laughs> it's your boy Keith at the ABG Podcast. I went 4-0 last week. We know that, buddy. Huh? 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 Forget about that first week. Forget about that fluke. When I went 0-4. <laughs> That's in the past, Mike. That's old news. The most recent week, perfect picks. New, not, and you know what, Mike? Say you pick all the favorites to win. You're pretty much a jabron. You pick nothing. However, you didn't pick all the favorites to win. Did you, Michael? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I am biased. I hate Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know you did. Your pick, your pick came straight from the heart. Believe me, I understand. <laughs> And uh, we, we were texting during that game, and we both, the, the two of us just basically were just... I just couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. I just couldn't believe it. Philip Rivers is... I know you got nine kids, man. I know your mind is full in your work. Yeah, he had a lot Can of stress. You, you, come on, bro. Rivers, this you is... need to... I think he needs to just... He needs to give away three or four of those kids. And <laughs> just get down to... Like, get down to four or five kids. And focus on football, because you're getting you're out of control at this point. I mean, but what's crazy is he's never beaten Tom Brady in the postseason. You know, that's insane to me. Like, you know, even I'm looking back at it. Actually, you know, guys like Reggie Miller never beat Jordan or anything like that. So yeah, I guess there's examples. Yeah. Of well, how about it's this, like, Mike? How about this little tidbit we could throw at Jet fans now? Mark Sanchez beat not only Philip Rivers in the playoffs. Also, Tom Brady in the playoffs. And Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning. So, <laughs> kudos to our boy Mark Sanchez. Look, actually, hey, hey. Actually, Brady is is on Sanchez's heels on most uh, uh, on wins. Uh, what is it? Away playoff wins. Yeah, road playoff wins. Well, the thing with yeah. the, the thing with the Pats is that they're always home in the playoffs, so it's slightly misleading. But I do understand what you're saying. But they kind of always have a bye, and teams don't often get to the playoffs and win multiple road games. It just doesn't happen, Mike. It doesn't, it doesn't really happen in the NFL. Um, I know Eli Manning was able to win a bunch of road games. Flacco, that one year. Flacco has some road wins, too. But both years, Mark Sanchez won a couple of... Well, actually, really, the Jets won them. There's only a couple of those games in the playoffs. He didn't throw the ball that much, but he was behind the helm. So kudos to him. He did something Phillip Rivers has never been able to do, which is beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. Also, did something that not many teams were able to do, which is win a road game in the playoffs in Foxborough. It's nearly impossible. They don't lose. They, don't, they were 8-0 there during the regular season to Mike this year. They don't lose in Foxborough really at all. And this game was just, it was just putrid. It was, and uh, the biggest thing was the rushing. I mean, you know, we could talk about Tom Brady and his greatness all you want, but Sonny Michelle was 24 for 129 yards and three touchdowns, broke a 40-yard run uh, during the game. Tom Brady had 34 for 44, 343 yards and a tee. He did good, 87.2 QBR. Of course, he Brady's Brady, but really it was the, the defense. It was the running game and their defense that they were the, the, the Chargers were done at the end of the, the half. It was over. You know what I want to do here, Michael? And, you know, as the AEBG podcast grows and we open up our wings and we open up our AEBG universe to more listeners and try to expand and bring in more topics. Uh, I want to let everybody in behind the scenes of the show now. We have a very hardworking intern on the show. He moved himself up to being actually um, our board op now, our engineer. You know, he's, he's, he's we call him the Wookiee on the show, Nicholas Cronk. I'm going to try to get him out here, get him on air to talk about some of these playoff games. Let's see what I can do. Hold on a second. I want to let you all in behind the scenes, behind the curtain, the AEBG family. We have a tremendous team of interns, and we also have a tremendous board op 
our engineer. He was under my wing. I trained him. Now he's better than I am. He records. He hosts shows. An amazing personality. We're going to bring him in, have him help us out moving forward here as we get into AEBG. Maybe some non-jet related topics in the future. He's going to be riding with us. Yeah. Coming up soon here. So we're going to give you guys a little taste. <laughs> he is the Majestic Beast and he's the Wookiee. He is Nicholas Kronk, everyone. AEBG Green Podcast fans, how are you doing? I am not one of those giant fans that just despises jet fans for being jet fans. So hopefully we can all get along. You see what he did there, ABG family? He let you all know immediate he was a Giant fan. Yes. He had to get it out there. Now, we're going to let him slide, world. Um, He's here. He's doing work. He records me and Mikey. Makes us sound great. I try. So we're going to let the kid slide, but he's here. He has good opinions. He knows football. Yes. So he has a mic back there the whole time. We haven't let you speak in 25 episodes. I know. So now we're about 26, 27 episodes in. We're going to allow you to join us on the airwaves. And bless everyone with your opinion, Wookie. Wow. And what we're talking here right now is the pathetic garbage game that was the Patriots and the Chargers last week. As the game went on, oh. as it continued and the scraping continued, Wookie, as um as that game went on, did you just say to yourself, you know what, I just, I just had enough of this Patriots stuff. I'm over it. If, if somebody would have turned the TV off and not told me that they were going to turn the TV off, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> there was a point in the game where I turned to you and I said, I really don't care what goes on from here. Yeah. It, I mean, the Chargers didn't show up defensively. Their coaching staff didn't show up. Rivers, I, I, give, him, I give him credit for trying. I, I was really pulling for him. But, I mean, yeah. come on. You, you, can't, you can't go out like that. Yeah, we were here at the studio, guys, and we maybe were playing a little FIFA before the Could game. Could have been. On, up on the giant Jumbotron we have here in Crystal Lake Studios. We threw the game on. And midway through the game, we're like, do we do we go back to FIFA? Is this is that how You're, bad this game is, Michael? No, and and, and and Nick, tell me how crazy this is. You know, the the Patriots altogether, their team was 34 for 155 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Do you know what the Chargers stats on the ground were for this game? Ten carries, ten carries for 19 yards and a team. 19. Mike, I was going to say, you know what? I don't know because after the first quarter, I didn't care anymore. Yeah, he took I wasn't watching. Like, I was watching it as, like, a football game. But, like, you know when you get lost in a football game and you start watching the ball travel through the air on passes? That's what I was watching. I'm like, Chargers aren't going to play defense anyway. I might as well watch Tom Brady, uh, you know, geriatric patient, pick them apart. Yeah, by the time the second quarter came, Wookie looked like the, that girl climbed out of the TV in the movie The Ring. Yeah. Just dead soul. Accurate. Inside of him. And just had no reaction, which is fine, which is which is how I felt inside. I, I, what about the uh, Kansas City-Indianapolis Colt game, Wook? I was expecting more from Indy. I thought, well, as a lot of people were, I, I would imagine. Um, you know, it's one of those games where, I mean, Mahomes performed, the running back uh, Williams performed uh, in, in, you know, Showing up with Hunt gone and all, and all that going on. I just think KC is a team of I don't want to say destiny, but the, I I didn't I didn't see them losing at that point in the year. Yeah, I, I think that's where their run ends. And I thought that was a great game, Mike Mahomes. First playoff game of his career came up big, played well. Williams, who was on Miami, and he does have a lot of uh, it, Mike. He does have some negative runs. You know, he, he seems like someone is always trying to bounce outside, right. bounce the ball around. He goes behind the line of scrimmage. But guys like that, and that's one of the the, the knocks that um, Gase had on Kenyon Drake. When it, and Kenyon Drake's a much bigger physical player than Williams. One of his knocks on in Gase's offensive system with Miami was that he would have a negative run here and there. You know, negative two or negative three. But then he'd have a, then he'd have a seven-yard run. And Williams is the same type of guy. He seems like 
He's always trying to bounce out, bounce out, find that hole, which I get. And he played very good this weekend. Chiefs played good. Their defense actually surprised me. And the most of anything, Mike, was the Chiefs' defense. They showed up. They played good. And Luck and the Colts really couldn't get anything going. Luck is right now beginning to mirror Peyton Manning in the postseason. I mean, he has a tremendous season where he's looking like the second or third or best quarterback. And then he gets to the postseason. He had a good game against the, the Houston Texans. And then in this divisional round, he just, you know, he laid down. His quarterback rating, his QBR was at 19.7. Uh, he was 19 for 36 for 203 yards and a tee. And really his impact on the game was minimal. And unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes, uh, for him, unfortunately for luck, Patrick Mahomes outplayed him. And Patrick Mahomes, it's his very first postseason game. And Patrick Mahomes had the 68.8 QBR and passed for 278 yards and rushed for a T. You know, uh, it looks to me that the Colts, you know, they did reach the second round of the playoffs. And I thought that they had overachieved compared to what they were going through earlier in the year. But, you know, Andrew Luck and everything that he's about... He's got to play better than that. And yeah, there was a point this year in the preseason when, like we said, he Andrew Luck wasn't cleared to even, I think, fold a towel. No. That's how bad his arm was. He, no. couldn't, he couldn't fling a frisbee across the living He wasn't room. ironing linen. Yeah, but and, point, and yeah. now he's back and he's playing great. And his he's probably going to win uh, Comeback Player of the Year, Mike, I bet, this year. Yeah. Just coming off, you know, he missed, uh, what, he missed five or six games yep. the previous year, missed yep. all of last year, and then came back this year and there was a lot of questions about his health. Played good, but... Didn't didn't come up big in this game at all. No. Uh, one of the games I was one of the games I was the most interested in seeing this week, Mike, was the Cowboys and the Rams. Reason being, I really did think that the Cowboys matched up good. I thought the Rams would win. I mean, I don't know if you know this, Wookie, but I I picked every single game correctly this week. Really? Really? You picked them all? Oh. All right, guys. <laughs> Bro, that was a legitimate whoops. You've yeah, never real seen a more sincere whoops ever yeah. in your life. No, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. It was a Wookiee. It was a Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Cowboys, the Rams. I thought that the Cowboys matched up well with them. I thought that the Rams' weakness is stopping the run. The Cowboys' strength is running the football. Yep. Um, you know, the Cowboys' defense has played so good this year. Maybe they'd be able to put a little pause on that Rams offense, which at the end of the year didn't have Gurley. I get it. Anderson was running the ball like crazy. We'll get to him and his big belly in a moment. The Rams basically mm -hmm. scaled it down, ran the ball the entire day. Yep. Anderson, Gurley combination went berserk. CJ Anderson has 400 yards in three games as as a Ram. What is what is going on? He he legit looks like he is a member of a bowling league, not an NFL running back. Yeah. No, yeah, he looks like Cedric the Entertainer out there. He, Mike, you're right, he does look like Cedric. He does, and he's, <laughs> um, and he's out there just running dudes over right now. He's out there just shucking and jiving, clobbering. Yeah, he, had a, he had a big game. And he's the Rams, had a bunch of big games down the stretch. The Rams offensive line played great, and they were opening up some big oh, goals. Oh, God. But even down there in the goal line area, they weren't using Gurley. No. No, and, and that's, and let me, let me say this, please. Um, and I know we're going to do predictions here in a second. I am picking the Saints to win this game. And I'm going to tell you why when we get there. But Jared Goff, 15 for 28, 186 yards. 
with a 56.5 QBR. This is the next game that I've seen him not play well. And you ask yourself, why is Jared Goff not playing at the same level that he was playing during midseason? I can tell you why. We can look at the rushing and say, my goodness, Todd Gurley and CJ Anderson went crazy. But here's the stat that you really got to look at. Receiving. Todd Gurley, two receptions for three yards. Todd Gurley is not the same weapon for Jared Goff that he was in the beginning of the year. And because of that, like we talked about before, Keith, Jared Goff is a system quarterback. And when he doesn't have Gurley at full strength, which we can obviously see here with the statistics, he is not the same guy. And guess what? They're playing the Saints, who's the number one deep running defense in the NFL. They're number one against the run. Cedric the Entertainer ain't running for 200 yards against them. Neither is Gurley. Cedric might not. And you know what? One thing I don't, I always wondered with the Saints this year is if they are really that good at stopping the run, or if it's a byproduct of the fact that they're often ahead by a lot of points and teams have to throw the ball so often. But I know their defense this year, unlike many years, is legit. And I don't know if, the, I, and we'll get into the predictions in a moment. I'm not sure if the Rams have enough for them either. But that game was um, Rams, Rams, Cowboys. Rams did enough to win the game, were able to run the ball. Didn't get too exotic with their defense played pretty good. The Rams defense, I don't think is as good as people think it is. Or you or a lot of us thought it would be on paper when the season started. And also they obviously have a lot of guys that are very sensitive, um, with Marcus Peters just loses his mind every game and uh, you know, Amari Cooper's out there smacking dudes around after the game. Uh, that that whole situation was very interesting how that went. I don't know what that was about, but when you win the game, isn't it easy to just kind of walk away and be the bigger man? I don't know why, I don't know why nowadays when people win, you, nobody can win with class ever. It, 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 it's a forgotten it's a forgotten thing in the NFL. It's a forgotten thing in sports in general. Um, and that brings me to the last game of the week, which was the Eagles game. And the Eagles really had a legitimate shot here yep. to whoop the Saints. They went up early. They looked good early. The Folds magic was at full tilt. 14-0. He had a gigantic bottle of Folds dust still filled up. I thought it was empty. No, there's a whole new bottle. No, he got it. And go. he's playing great. And end of the game, also, Jeffrey had a drop. I don't know if that is or isn't. You know, they still could have lost the game even if he caught yeah. the ball. But the Eagles played good. And it, it begs the question, Mike. You know, Saints came back, showed a lot in that game. Won the game like we thought they would. But it does beg the question where Nick Foles might end up next year. I guess the Eagles already said they're going to go with Wentz. That's their guy. G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-
fully spaced out as either of them. No. But also, he's very chill. Yep. And I think guys like that can work well in New York. So I, we're just we're just banding it about here. But I do think a Nick Foles personality could do good in New York. Oh yeah, personality. I would, if, if they did it, I would I wouldn't mind having Foles yeah. as, as as our quarterback. Not at all. Yeah, I but wouldn't mind it at all. That was a great game. Now now let's get into our picks. For next week, Michael Agaris. Now, let's get into this NFC game first. The two best teams all season in the NFC were the Saints and the Rams. They're playing each other for a chance to get into the Super Bowl. The game will be in New Orleans, where the Saints almost never lose, and they play a whole different type of football in New Orleans than they do on the road. I have a hard time picking against the Saints when they play in New Orleans. I know last week wasn't a great game. Eagles are a strange team. That fold magic kind of threw them off. The Rams do not have as good a defense as the Eagles. I think it'll be a shootout. I think it'll be a good game. But I see the Saints walking away with a W, Mike. Yeah, so do I. And for the reasons that I stated before, I don't think Jared Goff is playing his best ball because Todd Gurley is hurt. I think that the championship pedigree that the New Orleans Saints have with Coach Sean Payton and Drew Brees leading the way will constitute to a W. They've been the best team in the league really all year. Um, or at least in the NFC, uh, Drew Brees is an MVP candidate with his almost completing 75% of all of his throws. I think Michael Thomas really, once utilized, is very difficult to stop and I don't believe the Rams have any answer for him. Um, as a weapon, again, they're the best run defense in the NFL. Michael Thomas had 200 yards on in the first game when these two teams played. And yeah. I know the, the Saints walked away with the W, it was a shootout. Two, I think it was 210 yards he had uh, in that game. He was, right, and that was when Jared Goff was playing well and they beat them. So now, you know, now that he's not playing as well as he has, and this is the fifth, sixth straight game that he's been underperforming, uh, I, I don't see it. I think the Saints are going to go back to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, New Orleans Saints. Now, Wookie, where do you stand on this? What do you feel in this week? Saints are almost unbeatable at home, as you guys have said. Breeze is a lunatic in the in the postseason. He's a leader. Last time they played, Saints won by 10, and Cooper Cup was on the field. Cooper Cup's not available this game last time I checked. Right. I, I, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. I mean, I think L.A. is going to have to – they're going to have to throw a ton and beat and beat that secondary because the running, the running defense for New Orleans is ridiculous. So, at home, Drew Breeze could be last hurrah, should be if he wins – I can't bet against them. I'll go. I'll go with the Saints. All right, well, it's unanimous. Now, I hopefully, hopefully, now this next game, guys. Hopefully, <laughs> there is all the way up above us. Now we know something's floating around up there. But yeah. what I'm hoping is that whatever is up there floating around at some point, because they have more important things to look at than sports. Yes. Okay. There's big things going on on the planet of Earth. Mm -hmm. You can't be checking out NFL games. No. But at some point, just go through the book and go. This this Patriot team, we can't. This we have to do something about this. At some point, the gods of sports or whatever god it is that you pray to high above has to say oh. this has to end. This nonsense <laughs> of this evil empire and this cheating team has to come to an end at some point. They cannot get to another Super Bowl. My faith is in Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. My faith is in Andy Reid, who is not somebody statistically or historically has done great in the playoffs. Right. But the Chargers, to me, came out last week and looked soft and overwhelmed. They did. Playing on the road. They did, absolutely. This did. week, Chiefs playing at home. At home, the Chiefs, I'm not saying it's equivalent to the Saints game. It also might be a very cold day in Kansas City. But the Chiefs play great at home. Their fans are great. 
They have a lot of momentum, plenty of holes in the Patriots. The Patriots were able to take them out earlier in the season when they had Hunt. Something to point out, they won by three points, 43-30, I think the score was. But I can't, I have to choose the Chiefs. I have my, my, I, my, I literally have to do it. I have to choose them to win. Even against my better judgment, I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. I yeah. can't select the Patriots to win this game, Michael. I'm going to go with the Chiefs, basically because I have to go with my heart and hope the Patriots empire begins to crumble here. Mike, what do you feel? I just hate this team so much. I hate talking about it. Um, they played once before, and the Patriots beat them. And the Patriots beat them with Kareem Hunt. They don't have Kareem Hunt anymore. Belichick's already seen how this team operates. Belichick's already beaten Andy Reid head-to-head. The Patriots have all of this. This is their eighth straight AFC Championship game. I hate, I hate this team, but it's unfortunate that they're going to go back to the Super Bowl. And I don't want that to happen. I want, I want the Chiefs to win. But looking at it, looking at it from a, just looking at it from just a realistic standpoint, this team just has the answers. They're playing it now. They've got the, all the players that that know how to win. They have the coach who knows how to win and they've already won and they've won with a team that when they were better with Kareem Hunt. They're not as good as they were with Kareem Hunt. So what makes us think that they're gonna end up winning? Well, you know what I can say, Mike, is that they're not, I should, they don't play the same type of offense now that they don't have Kareem Hunt. Maybe in some weird way it works to their advantage because they've been playing a little differently and the Patriots maybe don't know what to game plan um, because you know they're not going to revolve around Hunt. I'm, I'm just trying to find a positive. I agree with everything that you just said. I just have to hope that they have a stinker somewhere in their system. My, my, I, my dream is that they just, just get completely lit up. And that would just be tremendous and just get annihilated. Not going to happen. I do think the Chiefs have enough offensively, obviously, to score a bunch of points in the pads. It's can they stop the Patriots on defense. If the, if the Patriots are going to run the ball like they did last week, it's going to be a tough day because they're going to be able to control the clock and the, the Chiefs aren't going to be able to score as many points as they're used to scoring. And then, then they have to score. You know, when you go down seven points, you go down 14 points, you're in a position where you have to score which then puts more pressure on you, which then makes every single down, first down, everything exacerbated, and you know, just I just hope it doesn't become one of those scenarios. And I just have to hope that the Chiefs have enough gumption to go out there in Kansas City this weekend, get a W. Wookie, where do you stand? What do you think is gonna go on in this game? <laughs> well, all right. So I believe the Patriots are 20 and eight, or I'm sorry, 23 and eight in postseason. Tom Brady, Belichick, Reign, something like that. And I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive. 20 and four at home. At Gillette, three and four on the road. So, so, with a team as talented as Kansas City is right now, they both have to play in the elements. They're talked about being snow, could be under 10 degrees for the game. That stadium is ridiculous. That I mean, the crowd is nuts. Do I think the Patriots will win? Can win? Absolutely. I, I It's just something this year with, with that Kansas City team. They got the Patriots at the right time at home. If you're going to step up and be that type of team for the next couple of years... You have to beat this Tom Brady Belichick team. You got to end it. You do that now, then they start crumbling. Brady's not going to play forever. I don't care what diet he's on, how many avocado ice cream pints he goes through. <laughs> Following Sarah, this, uh, what did James Decker or what is Eric Decker's wife on uh, the Miami diet and all that stuff? You know, Stop it! No, I hope it's. I hope like you guys said before. I hope this is the beginning. I hope this is the crumbling. Of the cookie. Yeah, you gotta pull that first brick out. Yep. 
And that was very good stats there by the Wookiee. And what you didn't hear, guys, off air. And he, I hope they were correct. He, he muted his microphone and he was berating the interns. Because they did not get him his stats for this segment in there fast enough. And there's a couple, and I hope there's no lawsuits. A few interns are crying right now outside the glass. Not a big deal, guys. Another amazing addition, Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, is in the books, Michael. Uh, you know, we introduced Wookiee to everyone this week, and he's going to be joining us from time to time moving forward here because we're still going to talk Jets. There's plenty of other New York sports to talk about as we move forward uh, before April, before the New York draft. So we'll fill in those gaps with as much fun as we can. Like we said, we got a guest coming up. Um, we're going to do all types of new fun things to kind of fill some time here and keep everybody entertained for this three or four month off period where there really isn't too much going on with football. Free agency will kick in. That'll be huge. Draft's coming up in April. Then after that, it's kind of a lull. Um, but we'll be here riding or dying with you every single week, everybody. And if anybody wants to get at us, Mike, tweet at us, talk to us on social media, contact the big Wookiee, contact our interns or anything of that nature. Where can they do that? Well, as everybody knows, we're on the Elite Sports Radio Network. You can see us, hear us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. Reach us on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, on Instagram at jet.aebg, and on Facebook at AEBG.jetsradio. You heard the man, that's Mike. I'm Keith. You also heard from the big stinking Wookiee this week, everybody. We'll get back at you next week. AFC NFC Championship Games coming up. Peace out. Are you ready? The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jet fans, Jet fans, Jet fans, Jet fans are very passionate. Bird, Bird. Bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jet fans are very passionate. Brady sucks. Y'all beat us up. Darnold, an unbeliever.